if you'd open it with me to uh, Romans chapter 15. Um, we're going to cover the end of the chapter here, and with a little bit of review, kind of uh, ties this together, and I think you'll understand it as we go along. And we continue on in our series called Made Right. So if you haven't been with us, this whole series is about what God has done in Christ for us um, in our salvation that's been made possible because of the love of Jesus Christ. And so it's an exciting book to study, as I share with you periodically throughout this study. Um, the book of Romans has been tied to every great revival. Every single great revival that has ever taken place in the world has some root somewhere in this book. And so it's so profound. And so if you find yourself today, you know, here at church and and maybe you're going through it, whether it's a season of life where you just feel kind of blah in your spiritual life, uh, this book is about revival. It, it brings revival into our life if we allow it. This chapter, um, as I'll share with you in chapter 15, it's, it's never one that, you know, as I studied through it, that would have just jumped off the page of being a, you know, a chapter where it's really so exciting and, and one that really does stir, should, and especially those of us that maybe serve in the ministry. Um, you know, like we see the Apostle Paul here as an apostle and the privilege of ministry and the opportunities that are before us. But really, it's, it's a chapter for anybody who wants their life to count. And I got to believe that's every one of us. Amen. And when I say count, I mean, I count for the Lord, you know, the things that we would do on a day-to-day -day basis. And so we'll find ourselves in verses 23 through 33. I titled this morning's message, you know, what's your plan? And there's an old expression, you know, that captures this kind of portion of text that we're studying here today. Um, and it really reflects, you know, the ministry of the Apostle Paul in that statement. It goes like this, plan your work and work your plan. And I don't know, you know, about you, you know, in your own life, but I hope that you have a plan spiritually. And I, and I think that the, the Lord will speak to us today, uh, uh, you know, with regard to that. You know, some of us, you know, we, we start the year and, and we call them resolutions sometimes. Um, you know, we set out to accomplish things in our spiritual life. Like maybe you say, hey, I'm going to try to read the Bible uh, through in a year. That, that's a good plan. Amen. Uh, or you go, I'm going to share Jesus with every single person, you know, in my family at some point, one-on-one. -on -one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to him this year about Jesus. And, and that's a great plan. Or you go, hey, I'm going to talk to, you know, all my neighbors, you know, everybody in my block or, you know, everybody that I work with. And, and, you, and you come up with, these plans. Maybe you go, Hey, this is the year I'm going to finally start tithing. I'm going to, I'm going to give to the Lord. And I don't mean just tithing financially. I mean, tithing of your life that you go, I'm going to give my time and my talents and my treasures, you know, to the Lord. And, and those are, those are great plans. Um, and then I know there are some of us, like I said, cause probably I have this conversation at least once a month, you know, with, with somebody that goes, you know, Pastor Mike, I don't, I don't have a plan. I need a plan, but I don't, I don't have a plan. And, you know, there's an expression that kind of goes along with that. If you fail to plan, what's the downside of that? You plan to fail. And, and it's really true. And the apostle Paul has a, has a wonderful, you know, plan. And, and, and like I said, I think this is a, a real appropriate chapter as I was praying about this this week, you know, coming out of COVID, um, you know, COVID messed up everybody's life, but it really messed up a lot of believers. And, and at times, you know, you know, we can be harsh to that because we see it in Scripture and we go, we know one of the signs of the end times of the last days 
there's going to be a falling away, right? We're, we're, we, we know that, but we don't necessarily have to attribute it to COVID per se. Um, it can play a role in it, but we did see uh, a lot of people during COVID who withdrew from, you know, the organized church, you know, whether it was for, they thought for safety or anything else, and they stayed away. Um, even though the scriptures are adamant and there's, it's not a suggestion of God, it's a commandment of God that we're not to forsake the gathering of the saints. And some would say, well, gathering could be, you know, online or the, and you go, I think that's a stretch, you know, in that regard. I appreciate the fact that we have technology and I do know that we have people that are shut in, but I get to talk with those people in person. If you go by and you visit with somebody and, and they'll be in tears and they're just going, Pastor Mike, I miss being at church. I miss being with people, but the television, as much as that can connect me, that's not people. And they feel isolated and they, they feel alone. And so I know that some of the struggle that people are having, because they stayed away, you develop bad habits. I developed my own bad habits, you know, during COVID. So I get this. There's no, I'm not pointing a finger at you. I, I'm just sharing from my heart. I understand it. Um, but maybe that's a goal, you know, that you go, hey, you know what? I'm not going to live in fear any longer. I'm going to live by faith. I'm going to step out and I'm going to plug back in and do all the things, you know, that I was doing previously. And so there's just so much as I was studying through this, like I said, that the Lord, you know, would speak and I'm thinking, do we keep going, you know, and so some of it will be a little bit of review um, in this. And I, I think you'll understand why as we look at it here, but let's read Romans 15, 23 through 33 together, and then we'll pray. In verse 23, Paul says, but now I have finished my work in these regions. And after all these long years of waiting, I am eager to go to Spain. And when I do, I will stop off in Rome. And after I have enjoyed your fellowship for a little while, you can provide for my journey. That's like, you know, so if you could just read that for a second, you, without understanding the context, you go, that's awesome, right? You take vacations. And then when you get to where you're going, you ask the people there for the money so you can continue on on your vacation, right? I mean, that's not what he's saying. So don't read it that way if you are. He says, um, he says, but before I come, I must go to Jerusalem to take a gift to the believers there. For you see the believers in Macedonia and Achaia have eagerly taken up an offering for the poor among the believers in Jerusalem. They were glad to do this because they feel they owe a real debt to them, since the Gentiles received the spiritual blessings of the good news from the believers in Jerusalem, they feel the least that they can do in return is to help them financially. As soon as I have delivered this money and completed this good deed of theirs, I will come to see you on my way to Spain. And I am sure that when I come, Christ will richly bless our time together. Dear brothers and sisters, I urge you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to join in my struggle by praying to God for me. Do this because of your love for me, given to you by the Holy Spirit. Pray that I will be rescued from those in Judea who refuse to obey God. Pray also the believers there will be willing to accept the donation that I am taking to Jerusalem. Then, by the will of God, I will be able to come to you with a joyful heart and we will be an encouragement to each other. And now may God who gives us his peace be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we look forward to what you 
by your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts today. God, we need you and we need your word. We need direction, Lord. We need hope. We need encouragement. We need correction. We need everything, Lord, that you provide. And so, Lord, thank you that you're in our midst today. Thank you that you're here, not just to say something to us, but Lord, to change us, to transform us, Lord, that we would become more like your son. To think that, God, that's the work that you have begun in us, to make us more like Jesus. And so, Lord, help us today to recognize those things, those areas of our life where, God, we need you to continue to do that work. And that, God, we would invite it today, that we would ask you, Lord, to sanctify us, Lord, to purify us, Lord, to make us holy. We love you. We look forward to all that you would speak to us today. We love you so much. We thank you for just a wonderful time in worship and singing. Thank you for the, the wonderful time that, Lord, we have in our giving to you, Lord, now in receiving of your word, and then, Lord, looking how we can apply it. May you be glorified today. That, that's our hope, Lord. That's our prayer as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if you haven't been with us, you know, and you, you look at, uh, you know, the book of Romans, just to kind of give you a thought here, you know, in chapters 1 through 11, you know, Paul predominantly dealt with doctrine. It, it's a, Romans can be a really heavy doctrinal book. And then when he got to chapter 12, and if you look at all the way, pretty much through Romans chapter 15, um, well, the first part of Romans anyway, um, 15, he's dealing with, you know, um, practical issues, things that were just, you know, how to live, you know, we, we present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice, right? And then how do we get along, you know, with one another? We recognize that we have gifts and we use those gifts. We minister to each other. We use those gifts in the world. How do we relate to the government, you know, that's around us? You know, how do we function in the world, even with people that hate us and you don't want to kill us um, and to love them? And, and you go, it's just practical, you know, Christianity. And then right here, he begins to transition from practical Christianity to what we might say is personal Christianity. It's, it's, and he goes on in, in chapter 16, you know, and he basically lists, you know, 28 people, 26, you know, by name, um, two people that are not, you know, um, named. So it's very personal for the apostle Paul. And so you could look at that and you go, you know, how does that minister to us? Well, you, you look at someone's life. It's like, you know, if you took up a hobby or an interest, you know, um, I know growing up, you know, uh, watching, you know, different sports and stuff, then watching my kids, you know, it was really fun watching my kids because, uh, Michael Jordan, the basketball player was, was extremely popular. He was in his heyday and there was something that Michael Jordan always did when he did a layup. And do you know what that thing is that he did? Yeah. You guys that were basketball players, he went like this. He was always, and so I would watch my kids and my kids are going down the court, you know, and Brandon's going to do a layup and he, and his tongue comes out. And I'm thinking that's not really good because if somebody hits you with your tongue out, there's a really good chance that you're going to what? Bite your tongue, you know, and that does happen. But you, you imitate or you emulate, you know, people that, that you are, are you know, look up to and are trying to follow. That's why Paul would say, you know, be an imitator of me as I am of Christ, because Paul knew who he was looking up to. And we should be able to, with joy, not with pride or arrogance or narcissism, say to people, hey, be an imitator of me as I am of Christ, that you would look at your life and you go, if somebody hung out with you for an entire day, and it's just a, a way to, to present it to yourself, if they hung out with you for an entire day, 
at the end of the day, just ask yourself, you go, would they be closer to Jesus or would they be further away? Just simple, right? It's just something, you know, to consider here. And, and Paul, you know, he's laying out for us, you know, his plan. This is, he's got goals. He's got plans. And if you listen to people long enough, they'll tell you, you know, their hopes and their dreams. They'll tell you what their goals are, what their plans are, you know, for life. And so I love this because, you know, there's, there's so much that God would have us read and then look at our own life. You know, we look at the apostle Paul here and that's really what he's doing is he's revealing his life. It's personal for him. But as we study this, make it personal, you know, like said for you as well. Proverbs 69, you know, puts it like this. He says, um, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Would you agree with that? Yeah, we make all kinds of plans. We read Paul's words here. He's made all kinds of plans. We most of us read that and we go, "Did Paul make it to Spain?" You don't see anything in Scripture other than what he tells Timothy. He says, "You know that I've run the race and I have what? What did he say? I have finished the course, right?" And so all the things that he's saying that he set out to do, he he did. And and we we can talk about structurally what happened, you know, in Paul's life when he went to when he went to Rome. He goes to Rome and he's, you know, arrested and then he's released. And so there's about a two-year period there, you know, or a little over a year uh, before he's arrested again. And so what he did during that, we're not really sure 100%, but, uh, you know, he definitely had a plan and God has a plan. And sometimes, you know, our plan isn't God's plan. Have you found that to be true in your own life? You have a plan and you laid it out. And then some people go, that's why I don't plan, Pastor Mike. Every time I make a plan, guess what? What does God do? He changes it, but he doesn't say don't plan, right? He just says basically pray. And Jesus, when he taught us to pray, maybe we need to pray more, is he said, you know, not my will, but what? But thine be done. But you have a will, and I have a will, but God has a will as well. And, and God's not willing that any would go to hell or perish, as his word says, but are people going to go there? And you go, yes. And so, God honors our will in our life. And there's many things, like I said, we could spend weeks on this text here, you know, and so uh, it's one that we, we, we probably won't to that degree, but I definitely wanted to look at this kind of a little bit of, of review with you, because as we read last week, you know, Paul knows there's a church at Rome and he didn't plant the church at Rome, right? But Paul's saying, but I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, uh, go where another man has began a work. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. That's obviously how ministry happens. You know, one generation hands it off to the next generation, and ultimately there becomes a, no place in the sense to go in all the world. We need pioneers. You know, Paul was a pioneer for sure, um, but we also need people that will grow where they're planted, right? And and that they become what we call, and it's a wonderful thing when you look at a church, especially in longevity, you go, those people are pillars in the church. They bring strength and because of their longevity, that they're there. And, you know, they hunker down. So uh, as opposed to you go, hey, so how long have you been in the church? Oh, a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks. And if everybody's that, you have, there's no, there's no maturity. There, there's nobody there that can bring that, that seasoned grace like the Apostle Paul, you know, sees here at the church at Rome. And so he knows they're not illiterate. I mean, you can't write the book of Romans to a church that's that deep and think that they're illiterate. And he's not saying that, you know, at all. But he is telling them something in verses 14 and 15. You can back up there and look at that. He says, I'm fully convinced, my dear brothers and sisters, he says that you are full of goodness. You know these things so well that you can teach each other all about them. Even so, and I love this, he says, I've been bold enough to write about some of these points knowing 
that all you need is what? A reminder. Most of us need a reminder. But now this is, this is, I want to, I want to kind of settle in here for a moment, you know, on this particular verse, because you think about this, because Paul wasn't offering a new word from the Lord here. What he was doing is what, like I would try to remind you all the time is, you know, um, you know, the art of good preaching is tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you've told them. It's the redundancy. It's driving that in. As Ecclesiastes says, it's like a, a you know, a nail that's being driven, you know, that it's firm, you know, it's in its place. I always like what Pastor John Corson, um, you know, would teach. He'd say, you know, if it's true, it's not new. And if it's new, it's not true. But we have a danger in our culture today, especially with our young generation, that they're coming to church or they're going in search of churches that are teaching what they would call new truths or undiscovered truths. Have you ever found something on the internet about some new truth that, you know, someone said that they uncovered or some, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of things. They go, you know, I, I read every uh, 100th verse and I discovered, you know, this new tea that if you drink, it's the fountain of youth and it's right from the scriptures, right? And you're just like, are you kidding me? You know? So you look and you go down and it's just some hype thing that people do, you know, but there's a thing, are there, what's that? There's a sucker born when? Every day. You ever been a sucker before? Uh, I have many times. Oh, you know, um, but again, you look at that and it's a great reminder. Now think of this with the word reminder, especially if you're a note taker, you might, you might, like I said, do a word search here and just really think about this today because it doesn't mean to bring to mind or to remember something, you know, like you had forgotten. We, we think of that, like how many have like to-do lists, like you do it and you write it down and then you mark it off like that. It, Paul's not talking about something like that. Like you go, oh, if I didn't tell you, you know, that you would, you would forget about it. What he's talking about in the truest sense in the, in the Greek language, uh, he's talking about, and we see this in, in the book of Acts, um, he's talking about a truth that you used to know, you remembered, but in the truest sense, you've walked away from. And, and that's deeper. That, that's a lot more, it, what we'd say is it's spiritual, right? It, it, it means more than just going, oh, I had a to-do list and I just want to bring this to remembrance. And, you know, we, and we could read it like that, but we'd totally miss the point because that's not what Paul's saying. Is I want to bring to remembrance, he said, something that that you knew to be true. Maybe you once enjoyed, but somehow you've drifted. You know, you've you've walked away from it. I think of you know when just when I was studying this week. I mean, I, I went back to a study that actually I was doing to do as an interim study uh, between you know Romans and the next book that I'll do, and I'll probably still do it. Um, Revelation, you know, chapter two, uh, when Jesus is talking about the seven churches in Asia Minor there, right? And in chapter two, verses one through five, he says to the angel of the church, and that reference, their angel would be like the, the pastor or the elder there at Ephesus. And so you think about where Paul is writing from even now in, in, in Romans, and he says, these things, says he, and I'm reading this from the New King James translation because I like the, the rendering of it. He says, he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, and that's God, he's got the whole world in his hands, but he's got these churches in the palm of his hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. 
He says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and you, not, you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and they are not, and, I, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have had patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. You know, you read that and you go, yeah. I mean, that's good stuff, right? You go, man, that's what we want to be known for, right? And he says, but nevertheless, and this is Jesus speaking, he says, nevertheless, I have this against you. He says that you have left your first love. He didn't say you lost your first love. You can't lose your first love, but you can leave your first love. And that's really the reference point that Paul is alluding to here. It's not trying to bring something to remembrance that you go, oh, you know, it's something that we have drifted from, something that, you know, again, we've fallen from. And so he, Paul, again, where Jesus makes this reference in Revelation 2, he says, so how do you fix that? He says, remember, there's three things that he says, remember. So remember, remember from where you've fallen. He says, then repent. And then I always put it this way. It's three R words. Remember, repent, and then redo. So basically, what is he doing? You go, it's not, oh, I got to do more works in order to be pleasing to God. He says, no, go back and do the things that you first did when you fell in love with Jesus. What did you do? You go, I read my Bible all the time. I prayed all the time. I shared Jesus with people all the time. Jesus was just he was just first and foremost in my life. That's all that he was. And you go, and, and Jesus is saying, that's what you go back to. That's what you redo. It's not something new. It's come back to what you already knew. So that's a lot deeper. Like I said, we don't need a new truth. We need to be awakened. Would you agree? We need to be awakened to something that we already know and have walked away from. I love that because, you know, I think of the, like the movie, the, the Jesus Revolution. You know, what was that about? It was a bunch of kids who were disenchanted, you know, with religion and religiosity in the world. They, they saw what the, the world was talking about. Free love. Everybody just love, love. And it still left them empty because the world can't provide what God provides. Amen. And so brought about this, this work we call the, the Jesus movement. And, you know, now the thing, you know, today is, is, is God desires to do a work like that again? And I think the answer is pretty simple, right? Yeah. Without question, that's what he wants to do in all of our lives, to bring us back to that place, to remember, remember what the Lord, what, what, is, what is communion all about? We remember the Lord, right? Remember what Jesus has done for us. Remembrance, remembrance, you know, remembrance, you know, Paul would teach young Timothy there in 2 Timothy, I think it's 3, 7. He says, you know, people are always learning, but they're never able to come to the knowledge of truth. And that's one of the problems that we have in our culture today. It's one of the problems that we have in the church is that in many Bible studies, it's not about life transformation. You know, people just come in the study. The study's great. We have great Bible studies, but they're just information. I mean, you, you literally could get that at home just reading by yourself. You're just listening to someone else because it's easier. Let them do the work and you just listen to it, right? But, but that's not what the Lord desires. What he wants and what Paul is talking about here, you know, in chapter 15 is it's not just the word going forth and it's not just people responding. It's the Holy Spirit moving with signs and wonders. It wasn't just that the Holy Spirit was endorsing Paul's ministry, you know, in that way, 
It was the Holy Spirit has a ministry all by himself. He has a desire to move in our midst. He wants to save us. That's how we get saved, is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit, and yet you hear so little about the Holy Spirit. This is like something, oh yeah, we used to do that. Now, you know, we, in many churches, we don't even call it a sermon anymore. We call what? Uh, the talk today. The talk is this, because that's what people want. They want talk. They want to listen. It's like going back to Mars Hill, you know, in the book of Acts. People want to have their ears tickled. And that's not what Paul's talking about. That's not what Jesus was talking about. What, what he desires in all of our lives is to be changed, is to be transformed. It's not information. Like I said, it's truly transformation. We don't want to be in that place of always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of truth. So how can we know? How can you know in your life? How can I know in my life? Is, is this a genuine work of God going on in your life? And there's a way to know. And Paul says it. He lays it out. It's called fruit. Fruit would be, has there been a change? Is there being a transformation? When you plant a fruit tree, it doesn't normally have fruit on it. I do prefer the ones that come with the fruit on them because that gives you a good start. I just want you to know that. You know, always buy the lemon tree that has one hanging on it, right? Then you take it home, then you go next year, hopefully it has two and then three. You know, I took Mike with me because Mike, Dr. Green Thumb, and I finally got lemons growing. My, we, my grandkids come out and they're, man, every year, and it's just a little old lemon tree, but this sucker puts off lemons. I'm just like, yes. So how do I know that my lemon tree is fruitful? How do I know? Because it turns green every year? No, because it puts off lemons. And this is what was so exciting to me personally you know, last week, you know, in talking about this, Paul's going, you know, when you think about it, the word ministry that he was using there, verse 16, you know, of chapter 15 is talking about as a priest ministers. And he's going, you Gentiles, remember, because he's the, he's the apostle to the Gentiles, right? He's like, you Gentiles, you're, you're my offering. You're my sacrifice to God. Every time, you know, one of you gets saved, I mean, the angels of heaven are going, yeah, over one sin of the repentance. And he goes, and I'm just, I mean, that, that was the joy of his life. Everything was sacrificial. So he didn't have a problem, you know, traveling thousands of miles. And you go, why? You go, it's like somebody panning for gold, right? They, they were worth it. You know, it's like, as, as scripture tells us, that you've been redeemed with what? With something that's more precious than silver and gold. You've been redeemed with what? The blood of the lamb. So Paul, he got that. He saw the worth and the value of people. It wasn't about stuff. It was about people. That, that's what it was always about. That's what it was, you know, always intended to be about. And so Paul, you know, yes, Paul could, anybody question the intellectual capacity of the Apostle Paul? Do you think he was kind of smart? I mean, so he could have just said that it's all about intellect, but what he was after was heart change. Knowledge is good. But, but transformation is better. If the knowledge doesn't bring about transformation, what good is the knowledge, right? And that, that's really what he's leading to. I, I remembered an old quote you know, that ministered to me years ago, and it spoke to me this week as I read it. I don't know if you'd agree with this or not, but I think we could all say that we're educated beyond our obedience. All of us. We're educated beyond our obedience. Meaning, I know what to do, but do I always do what I know is right to do? And you go, no. I'm not just a sinner by accident. I'm a sinner by choice. 
I need Jesus. I get that. And that's why he said that in verse 16. If you look at that, he says, I'm a special messenger from Christ Jesus to you Gentiles. He says, I bring you good news so that I might present you as an acceptable offering to God made holy by what? The Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Spirit. And I, and I want you to think about this because, like I said, Paul saw you know, the Gentiles as his offering, but you have an offering to make. I have an offering to make. Have you ever considered that? What is your offering? Well, first and foremost, chapter 12, verse 1 says, your life, right? Your life is an offering to God. Giving your life to God is your primary offering. There you go, God, I'm giving you my life. I am yours, Lord, everything I am, and as the song sings, and everything I'm not, right? I'm yours. And, and to be holy and pleasing to him, a surrendered life, a consecrated life, a whole life, not, not part of my life, right? Not like Malachi, you know, don't, don't give him the, the cancerous cow. Give him my whole life and give it to him wholly. So it's W-H-O-L-E and then H-O-L, whole, holy, H-O-L-Y, holy, and, and living for the Lord. That's, that's our primary sacrifice that each and every one of us, no matter what we have or where we're at in this life, we can offer ourselves to God. And my hope today is you've done that. And if you haven't, you can do it right this very second. You can go, God, I'm yours. Everything I am and everything I'm not. But let me ask you this. Is that a dangerous prayer? Is that a dangerous prayer? Lord, to say, I give you my life, everything I am and everything I'm not. And you know what? And that's why most people don't give their life to the Lord. They give their allegiance in the sense of, oh, I believe Jesus. It's like picking a favorite team, right? He got the, Jesus has the best record. It's like how I pick a Super Bowl champion. You know, I, I told you, man, I, I made a great move a few years back because I, I love sports. And I would have a favorite team. And, you know, when my team would lose, you know how I'd be for like the next three or four days? I'd just be down in the dumps. I mean, it's just like, God. So I made a chain. I go with the winner. Whoever wins, I just, people go, who you vote? I just wait. I go, well, I'll tell you as soon as the game's over. They go, well, that's not right. Oh, yes, it is. Because look, you guys that are all, you know, got your favorite, you, you guys, you know, you're, you're bummed out. I'm not bummed out. Go with the winner. Is Jesus a winner? Did he win? Yes. Yes. Something to get excited about. He conquered sin and death, right? Imagine what Easter, I mean, that's it. Easter is our Super Bowl. You know, it, it's our World Series. It's our NBA championship, whatever you want to look. It's the pinnacle, you know, of our life. If Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, guess what? You're still dead in your trespasses and sin. But he has. So guess what? You have proof positive that your sins can be forgiven. And so Paul says, in verse 19, he says, they were convinced by the power wasn't just the words. He said the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's Spirit. One of the things is when people get saved is that you share, you share Jesus with people and people respond to the gospel. That, that's proof that the gospel still works. When people get baptized in water, is that a proof that the gospel still works? You go, yes. I, t I tell, if I baptize you, I told you that when you guys said, I said, thank you for walking in obedience to God's word. I go, why? Here we are in Israel. And me and John are, were baptizing you know, our group. And some had been baptized, some hadn't. Some wanted to just be baptized in Israel. But guess what? Every time you would enter that water of baptism, somebody's watching that. There's people all over the place there. They're watching it. And then someone's telling the Bible story that says, and John was baptizing there 
on the Jordan River. And, and I shared with that, you know, what did that, what did that mean there in, in that particular moment? Is he's, John had asked him, why did you come to this water? And he says, well, if you've truly repented, and he was talking to the Jews. He said, what he was saying was, if you, if you, you, want, to, you want to walk with God, you know, he gave you the promise, right? He told you his word, and, and you crossed over the Jordan, and you haven't kept his word. You've been breaking his word ever since you crossed the Jordan. So this is what repentance was. He said, go back across the Jordan River and come back over again. And then get baptized. And then do what? Then start walking with God. And people, they'd hear that story and they'd go, wow, there's still people that are doing that. There's still people that are, are saying, I've decided to follow Jesus. I'm not going to go my own way anymore. And repent means to what? To turn from yourself and to turn to God. And then people do, you know what? If that guy can do it, I can do it. And that's what, and it's the beautiful thing about the encouragement of the body of Christ. When you and I, when we walk in obedience to God and we do it publicly, that it has an impact on other people. And that becomes our sacrifice to God. And so Paul, he's, he's excited about living his life out. He calls it what? The full gospel. The full gospel. The full gospel is you, I presented the full gospel. Well, I can tell you this, you did not present the full gospel if the Holy Spirit wasn't involved with it and there weren't signs and wonders that followed. You presented the gospel, but you didn't present the full gospel because when God moves, what happens? Things happen, right? People get saved. I mean, look what's happening right now, you know, in the United States of America. I mean, there's, there's a fresh work of, of God happening in places where people are doing what? And how do we know that the Holy Spirit is bringing revival. Well, what's one of the demarcations? If you think about when revival takes place, what happens in the heart of the people? What did Jesus say to the church at Ephesus? He said, what, remember, and then do what? Repent. You're seeing repentance where people, I mean, you know, here we are on a university campus, you know, in the United States of America, and people are on their face before God. They're broken before God. They're, they're not non-believers. This isn't, these aren't, these aren't, you know, unsaved people. There were unsaved people coming, but, but the great work was not unsaved people getting saved. It was the church experiencing revival. It was this church being reminded of what they had forgotten and what they had drifted from, and they were coming back to it. And that is what brought about the excitement. And then, so when you look at this, you know, like I said, it's easy to gloss over this. Man, we don't want to miss this because you want the Holy Spirit to move. And that's what was happening, right? When there's repentance, when there's brokenness in your heart before God, you're going, God, I, you know, I've been doing this church thing for years now, maybe for decades, but I haven't really experienced the fullness of God, the, that movement of the Holy Spirit. That's why people go, man, I, I hope I'm saved. You know, I think I'm saved. I, man, I want to be saved. You go, you'll know. I mean, it's, it's not an issue of, you know, I, I, did I know? I mean, when God moves in a person's life, that person knows it, okay? Whether it's, it's experiencing the joy of the Lord, the peace of God, you know, the pleasures of God, you know, there's a restoration or there's a refreshment, all these things. And Paul says, you know, I've, I've taught all these things. And you look at that and you look at your own life and you go, is there evidence there? Do you see the evidence of that? And if not, let me ask you a question. What's preventing? What's preventing 
a powerful work of the Holy Spirit in our lives today. What would you say? What's preventing a powerful movement of God in Calvary Chapel Bakersfield today in your life? Forget what he's doing around the world. It doesn't make any difference. Revival starts with what? One person. One person. And who's that one person? Me. It's you. That's where it begins. See, we, we, we go, well, you know, if we can sit around all day long, if the world would do this, and if the world did that, and do, 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 and you go, what am I doing? It all starts with one. It's all about Jesus, but revival is about us. It's bringing us back. Jesus doesn't need to be revived. I need to be revived. You need to be revived. And guess what? Jesus is the great reviver, but it's coming to him. It's coming on his terms, right? You know, Acts 10.34, you know, Peter makes this declaration, you know, God's not a respecter of persons. In the NLT, God shows no what? Favoritism. He wants everybody. He's not willing that they would perish, but all would come to repentance. He wants everybody to experience the power of his spirit in their life. He wants all of us to experience the signs and wonders of God. But yet, as I asked, what's, what's preventing that? Sin, lack of faith, lack of trust. It could be a lot of things. Lack of belief, you know, what did the disciples pray? Lord, I believe, but what? Help my unbelief, right? And does God help our unbelief? Absolutely. I won't believe until I stick my hand in his side. Did Jesus neglect that in Thomas's life? What did he do? If Thomas, here, stick your hand in my side. Thomas, yeah, I believe. I love that about Jesus. He'll meet you at the place in your life where you need him most. But see, I think it's safe to say with Paul, Paul enjoyed an abiding communion with God. His life was a reflection of dependence. So we look at his life. I look at him the same way, like I said, my kids growing up would look at Michael Jordan. Look at the Apostle Paul's life. Study his life and go, what is it? What, what was the secret? Remember when, when, when the disciples came to Jesus, they didn't ever say, Lord, teach us to do miracles. I would, wouldn't you? That would be cool. Lord, we were talking about this this week. Lord, teach me to multiply fish and loaves so TWC would never have another worry, right? Doesn't always work that way. They came to him and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Because we know that's where your, where your power comes from. See, there's a cost. There's a cost. Paul was willing to pay the price. You look at his life, there's no question. Paul was willing to pay the price for the abiding presence of God in his life. Question for me, for you is, are we? Are we willing? You know, Luke 9, 23 and 25, it says, and then Jesus said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world and you yourself are lost or destroyed? What does it require? John, First John. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin 
and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then we get on our face before God and we go, God, you know what? This area of my life, this, like I said, Jesus is, Jesus is the model, okay? And we look at him and we look through that lens of our own life and we go, if God is working in my life, when he saved you and he saved me, the ultimate goal is to transform us into the image of his son. Do you, do you believe that? Do you agree with that? Is that, is that scriptural? Because you, you need to understand that, that we would be conformed into the image of his son. So then we have to ask ourselves today, what is keeping me from being conformed in the image of his son? Is it God? Did God just pick an apostle Paul? Did he pick a Peter? Did he pick, you know, a John? But he didn't really pick me and you. Your do we have a role in that? Do we have a responsibility in it? Paul goes on in verse 20, he says, for my ambition always has been to preach the good news where the name of Christ has never been heard rather than where a church has already been started by someone else. And so I, I shared that with, you know, Paul, Paul wanted to go where no man had gone before. In verse 23 and 24, he says, but now I've finished my work in these regions. What an awesome thing. Paul finished the work. Churches were planted. People were in place. And he says, and after all these long years of waiting, I'm eager to visit you. He says, I'm planning to go to Spain, and when I do, I will stop off in Rome. He's, he's got a plan. He says, and after I've enjoyed your fellowship for a little while, you can provide for my journey. And like I said, now, most believe that Paul, you know, he spent a couple of years in Caesarea, then he went to Rome, right? And he stood trial. He was released uh, over a year, and so Belief is during that that course of that year, he went to Spain, probably went up into Europe. I mean, all kinds of things that that could have transpired then and shared the gospel. We don't we don't know that for sure, but is it possible? And you go, yes, the time frame allows for it. And then he was arrested again, and ultimately he stood before Caesar Nero himself. And then, as Scripture tells us, he was then oh well, we understand what happened to Paul. He was beheaded. He was killed for the sake of the gospel. But he knew in the conclusion of his life that he came to the end of it, and he had finished the race, he had finished the course that the Lord had set before him to accomplish. And you go, did it take him to those places? You go, church history would probably point to the fact that he did. Verses 25 to 27 goes on, it says, but before I come, he says, I must go to Jerusalem to take a gift to the believers there. One of the beauties of this is Paul recognizes, remember the church in, in Jerusalem, they went bankrupt, right? They went bankrupt doing what? evangelizing, sending missionaries out in the world. And, and so these, these Gentile churches that were started recognized that Jerusalem gave it all. And what they gave them spiritually, then these Gentile churches recognized they had a physical responsibility, material responsibility uh, to do that as well. And, and there's, there's so much teaching that could come from this. You know, we have people that, that will donate money for ministry to go for, the permissions trips and things. They go, I can't go, but I can send you. And it's really basically the same thing that the Apostle Paul is doing here. He's going, you guys all can't go to Jerusalem, but you can all send a gift that can minister to them there. So what I will do, he says, materially, you guys can do spiritually, that you connect that. you know, And people do that through their giving, through their sponsorship. It's, it's a beautiful thing that takes place. And he says, so for you to see the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, have eagerly taken up an offering for the poor amongst believers in Jerusalem. He says they were glad to do this because they feel they owe a real debt to them. He says, since the Gentiles received the spiritual blessings of good news from the believers in Jerusalem, they feel at least they can do is return 
uh, the help financially. So again, it's it's a wonderful thing, you know, that, that Paul was doing there, collecting offering, you know, for the poor. Spiritual and material blessing, they go, they go hand in hand. Like I said, some people have the gift of giving, and they give, like I said, not just their time, they give of their talents, they give of their treasures here. Verse 28 and 29 goes on, it says, And as soon as I have delivered this money and completed this good deed of theirs, I will come to see you on my way to Spain, and I am sure that when I come, Christ will richly bless our time together there. So in the true sense, can you go on mission trips through your giving? Yeah. Yeah, you're sending other people. You can rejoice in that. You can, like I said, you can celebrate them, you know, as they go. And that's what Paul is saying is, hey, and when I get back, I'll tell you everything, you know, that, that God had done. Verse 30 goes on, it says, and dear brothers and sisters, I urge you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to join in my struggle by praying to God for me. Do this because of your love for me, given to you by the Holy Spirit. And so Paul here, he's begging Christians to pray for him. And he wants the church, you know, as I, you know, as our staff, our pastors, all those that teach would, would ask you, pray for us, pray and be, you know, allies with us in prayer. I mean, I, I think, you know, that it's safe to say that, you know, the church suffers because of a lack of prayer, any church. You know, when the church is thriving and, and prospering, you go, it's because people are praying. You know, and Paul is saying, you know, be my ally, you know, fight with me, you know, in prayer. I mean, would you agree? that prayer is essential to the success of ministry? Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, could we gather here in our sanctuary and pray for ministry all over the world? Yeah, without even leaving, right? Do you believe that prayer is that powerful? Can we pray in Bakersfield and God answer that prayer in China? Yeah, it doesn't mean don't go to China if God leads, but can we be just as effective by praying right here? If that's what the Lord's called us to, you go, prayer is powerful. And so Paul is asking them, he says, you know, to, to, in the truest sense, he says to, to agonize together with him. You know, not all prayer is effective prayer. And I think we all know that because if you ever prayed for things that, you know, they just didn't happen and it wasn't because probably it wasn't God's will, we prayed it and then we just forgot about it. It wasn't, we didn't agonize over it. We go, oh yeah, I remember I prayed for that one time. You know, what are the keys to effective prayer here? And I, and I love this. You study this out, you know, for yourself. Keys to effective prayer. Think about this today. Number one would be abiding. Paul is abiding in his relationship. It comes out of a relationship that you spend with Jesus. When there's unanswered prayer in my life, sometimes I have to go back and I go, am I abiding in Christ? Go, no, I'm leaning on my own understanding. The scripture says, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. But do we find ourselves at times we lean on our, ourselves? We lean on something else. We, that expression, you know, in the flesh, one in the hands worth what? Two in the bush, right? We, we really lack the faith. We're not, we're not abiding in Jesus. But do you think that Jesus meant it when he said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will. Do you believe that? That's what Jesus said. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, he says, ask whatever you will and it'll be done. Abiding is pretty powerful. The second thing is, like I said, agonizing. In the Greek, that word is the word strive, you know, or agonize as we see it there. To agonize. Did Jesus agonize in the Garden of Gethsemane? Yeah. To the point of what? Blood drops. You ever agonized in prayer? You know, Jesus invited his disciples to pray, but what were they doing? Did they join in the agony? No. It says he came back and they were what? 
They were sleeping, yeah. And then the third thing that we see is always be in prayer. What does Paul write, First Thessalonians chapter 5? Pray without what? Ceasing. Matthew 7, 7, 8, Jesus said, Keep on asking, and you will receive for what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. So what does is, what is Paul invite us? Pray, and pray until when? Till you get an answer. I mean, that, that could just be a great encouragement for me and for you today, is that call back to prayer, and that you'd go, I'm just going to, Lord, I'm just I'm going to pray until you answer. Because sometimes I think if we're honest, we go, we make prayer lists and we go, oh, we pray about that. And then we just forget about it, right? After time, oh, God did, I don't know, oh, yeah. And I love every once in a while, you know, it's not as much as I used to, but I, I'll meet people that they'll go, hey, Pastor Mike, uh, how's such and such? You know, and I go, excuse me? And they go, well, I've been praying for that. And I'm like, how I go, they go, yeah, like a year ago. And I go, man, you're still praying for that? And they, they go, yeah. They go, so how's it going? You know, and I go, no, that's, that's still a great prayer. I go, to be honest with you, I forgot about it. They go, well, I haven't. Well, what I love about that is, again, the beauty of the body of Christ. When one is weak, what? The other's strong. Stand in the gap. You know, God was looking for a man, looking for a woman who would stand in the gap before him. You know, would we be that man or that woman? Paul, he's... I mean, here's the thing, guys. He's pleading with the church to pray for him. If Paul needed prayer, how much more do I and do you? And are we asking people? Can you remember the last time that you just went to somebody and you said, hey, can you pray for me? And then you laid out what that prayer was. You know, I told our staff, I go, when people asked that do not don't ever go okay i'll pray for you and then walk away when they say that you go let's pray right now let's pray over that but i go that's a that's a wonderful thing to be able to pray for one another and paul's going pray for me pray for me and he lays it out verse 31 32 we'll close with this he says pray that i will be rescued from those in judea who refuse to obey god pray also for the, the believers there will be willing to accept the donation that I'm taking to Jerusalem. Then, by the will of God, I will be able to come to you with a joyful heart, and we will be an encouragement to each other. And so what was Paul's prayer? It's a great thing. You know, if you're thinking about, you know, well, what should I pray, you know, with regard to that? Well, one, he, he's praying that the hindrances in his life would be removed. So those, those could be people that were standing in opposition to the gospel. You think about it in your own life. You go, that could be sin. Lord, help me get, get rid of the hindrances. What are the things that are hindering your life in Christ to experience the fullness of the gospel being received and going forward? You have to identify that. I, I can't identify that for you. But Paul is saying, you know, let's pray for those things. Let's pray for those hindrances and then pray for your service. You go, God, help me to use my gifts in such a way, like, I mean, imagine that. I mean, if somebody came to you, think about this for a second. They came to you and they offered you a bunch of money. And they said, the Lord told me to give you this money. How many would go, I can't believe it. I can't accept that, you know. I mean, you'd, you'd be going, what? And you go, you want to give me money? And you go, yeah, the Lord told me to give you this money. 
he he just wanted to he wanted to bless you with this gift. I mean, I think ten out of ten people would go, I'll accept it, right? And Paul's going, pray that they would accept it. Pray that they would you go, what does he mean by that? Pray that it would be acceptable that that they would understand it wasn't trying to earn something from them. Sometimes people give you something because they want something from you, right? Sometimes people give, and this is what Paul was doing. He was giving the same way God was. For God so loved this world that he what? He gave his only begotten son. Paul's going, what I give, I want it to be acceptable. There's no strings attached. I'm not trying to get something from you. I want something for you. So pray that things will be, you know, hindrances will be removed from your life. Pray that your service would be acceptable, that there's no strings, as Jesus said, for even sinners give to sinners what they get back in return. And then the third thing there is pray that, that the work that you would do would be joyful, that it'd bring you joy and that it would bring the Lord joy and that it would bring the joy to the people in which that you're ministering to. That's life transformation. And, and joy isn't about, like I said, you know, can you be sad and sorrowful and joyful at the same time? And you go, yes. I shared with you, you know, just losing my sister-in-law. Is is it sad? Yeah, it's really sad. But is it joyful in the same sense? Yeah. Then just a few days after that, my next-door neighbor passed away. Just unbeknownst. I mean, just strange, strange. I mean, death's not that it's strange, but he was seemed perfectly fine. I picked him up, brought him down here to the church so that he'd see where the church was. He wanted to start coming here. He wanted to come to the memorial service for my sister-in-law. And that was on Saturday. On Monday, he was in the presence of Jesus. And you go, is it sad? And you go, yeah. You go, but do I know where he's at? And you go, yeah, there's joy. And Paul's going, you know, the ministry's hard. He goes, but man, and there's hindrances we need to, to work through, right? And we want our, our ministry to be acceptable. But I'll tell you what, where it really reaches the pinnacle is when you hit that place of joy. Joy. Because joy, as C.S. Lewis said, joy is the big business of heaven. Amen. And that that would be evident in all of our lives. So stuff to think about this week. What is hindering, you know, as the worship team, you know, comes up here, I want you to think about that. What, what is hindering in your life, the full work, the full gospel completely experienced in your life? What is hindering that? And maybe today you're here and you're going, nothing. You go, that's awesome then that's just a great morning of rejoicing. But you look at your life today and you go, and Jesus is the model, he's the measuring stick. And you look and you go, what is keeping the fullness of God from being realized in my life? And before you go and offer that to God as worship today, you go, how can I offer that to God? And you go, because that's what he wants. He wants that because he takes it. We sing it, take it away, take it far away from me, offer it to God, be real with God, be honest with God, experience the revival that God desires you to experience in your life by what? Remembering, not things that you've forgotten, but coming back to that which once was. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. We thank you for, Lord, the opportunity to study it together and to give you space here this morning before we go to allow you to bring to remembrance in our own life. What, what are those things, God, that, that are hindering you from, Lord, doing a greater work in my life? What are the things that are preventing me from experiencing the fullness of God? And Lord, let me bring those things to you today. 
in my brokenness, Lord. That God, when you take those things from me, you don't leave me empty. God, you fill me, you heal me, you make me whole. It's because of you, Lord, that we can be holy and pleasing to the Father. And so, Lord, this isn't something we do on our own. It's not some penance. It's not some man-made thing. It's when you stir our hearts. You break our hearts for what breaks yours. And so, Lord, have your way before we would leave this place today. Draw us, Lord, to yourself. Fill us afresh, Lord, this day. Magnify the name of Jesus, we pray in your wonderful name.